If you're around bitter, angry, negative people, that stuff's toxic and it's contagious. You got to kind of move those people out of your life. And, you know, if those people aren't uplifting you in life, then it's time to draw some boundaries in your life to, to get those people out because you want to find a healthy, positive people and emulate what their lives are doing and what they're doing in their lives. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard we have a terrific guest to share with you with a really powerful story and a message you need to hear. His name is Derek Stone. And after working to support his family as a struggling artist, he chose to reevaluate his life and his way of thinking. In three short years, he grew a small one-man show into a million-dollar-plus company. This amazing transformation came about through the decision to forgive his father. Derek left the path of blame and began traveling down a path of forgiveness, which led him to start living his best life. He's now in a mission to help empower others make the same transformation by helping them take charge of their own lives. And his new book, Why Should I Forgive, is available everywhere today. Derek, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on The Daily Helping. Thanks for having me, Dr. Richard. Absolutely. And I just want to jump right in because I know you have a really emotionally charged story, (laughs) which inspired you to write the book and, and really was the spark that shifted your life in a really amazing way. Take us through your beginnings, the story that led you to be doing what you're doing right now. Yeah, so I'm a general contractor here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, when my business did over a million dollars in revenue, I kept wanting to go back to see what it was that triggered my journey to success, to see if it was a formula I followed or a certain book I read or if it, it was what it was. And all those roads pointed back to the decision that I made, the choice that I made to forgive my dad. Like I said, it just all roads pointed back to that. And so I kind of started to cultivate that. And then that's where uh, kind of outside looking in at my siblings as well. Not all of them had made that forgiveness decision yet. And so um, a couple of them still haven't. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of like my life difference between their life situation. And, and that's kind of where it derived from. If you're comfortable sharing, Derek, take us through your childhood and what were some of the things that went on with your father. So... Um, my dad's a great dude, and um, but what I what I was dealing with is that I was blaming for all the bad things that happened to me as a kid. So I was sexually abused by my stepdad. Um, he wasn't, you know, and and then uh, when my dad wouldn't pay child support, you know, sometimes the lights would get cut off. We'd have to take showers uh, with the candlelight uh, and cold. They were cold, no electricity. Never knew where the next meal was coming from. Just that kind of just rough and tough kind of stuff, you know, and and. Uh, so what had happened was I'd blame my dad because I thought it was his responsibility to protect me from those situations. And so um, it, was, it was really an emotional situation because, like I said, I was just this bitter dude and I lived behind this facade, this, this mask that I put up in front of me that everything is all right. Everything's cool. You know, I'm, I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of dude until I got by myself. And then, and then you know, 
your your self-critic comes in there and and you know all kind of crazy stuff happens when you're by yourself <laughs> so what happened next how, how long did you carry that anger towards him until i was about 19 i would say i got to i went to the stomping out the darkness conference with neil t anderson oh, it's actually dave park neil t anderson wrote the book the bondage breaker with dave park and i was at this all these youth groups have put this together, this event together in, in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I went to this event and while Dave was talking, he said, you know, some of you guys have a parent you need to forgive or a sibling or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. And um, I almost walked out and then uh, I started to clench my fist and my heart, my heart rate elevated. And um, this voice came to me. Uh, and when I say this voice, God, it's the, it's the, it's the, there's only three times this voice has audibly came out, <laughs> um, was this situation when I met my wife. And um, the other one was, uh, uh, it slips me right now, the, the third time. Yeah, I can't remember the third time. So um, the first time was basically, he just said, oh, it was when I, when I moved to Mississippi and I was going to ha- kind of just keep the thing, same thing I was going on with was just this bitter dude. This voice came to me and said, this is a new start for you that uh you're not going to screw this up so i just started changing who i was stopped cussing drinking like i was drinking uh going into the great this is terrible i know but so then when i was at this conference that voice came to me and said derek i want to use you but i can't because you have all this bitterness towards your dad and uh i kind of clenched my fist and that kept me from walking out and i said why should i forgive him you know, because he wasn't around, you know, I was sexually abused because he wasn't around, you know, I didn't know where the next meal was coming from. All this blame started coming up. And then the voice came to me just super calmly, came back to me as if I didn't just holler at it. Um, and this is all monologue going on inside my head. And uh, he said, but I'm the father to the fatherless. And I wanted to know what that was like so bad that, uh, you know, what it was like for somebody to tell me that I had, I, I had what it took and that I was enough. That uh, I said, look, if you'll give me this, I'll give you that. And so I, I made the decision right there to, to forgive my dad and then my abuser. And, you know, I, I, I was better at my mom and, and all these other people. And I just started, as they were coming on my mind, I just started forgiving them, you know. And uh, the massive transition happened. It was like two hours of, of just bawling, brokenness and that kind of thing. And when I got up, I no longer felt the need to live behind this facade. And I no longer felt the need to, uh, I, I just no longer felt this burden I'd been carrying around for all these years. I mean, I literally just felt so free. And, and that was the, the beginning of the transition. I had, I had started, I forgave my dad. And then I started praying that God would restore this relationship between me and my dad. And uh, because I'd reached out three or four times and just nothing. And, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy time. And for about six years, you know, nothing had ever happened in that situation. And then one day in the middle of the deer woods, I get this phone call and my dad only calls me when it's like my birthday or when a, one of his family members on his side of the family is in the hospital or dying or something like that. And, um, so I just kind of turned the four wheeler on. I was off, uh, I turned it off and, and pulled my phone out of my pocket and, uh, noticed it was my dad and kind of prepared for bad news and then hit the button and my dad answered the phone kind of happy. He was like, Hey Derek, how you doing, man? You know? And, I was like, I'm great, Dad. How are you? You know. So then, all of a sudden, I was like, Well, this is a different kind of phone call. And he said, Look, I, I don't want to be known as somebody who walked out on their kids, and I want to be in your life and in my grandkids' life. And I just want to apologize for the way that I've treated you guys for the past ten years, and wanted to ask if you'd forgive me. Wow. And 
And I, uh, I just kind of smiled and said, Dad, I forgave you a long time ago, but I've been praying for this day for a while. And so hence that started the journey of us like doing, you know, we went on some hunting trips together, a couple waterfalls, you know, just kind of some cool stuff that we've been able to do. He lives in Texas. So it's, it's, you know, it's maybe every other year that I get to go out there and and hang out and just because of scheduling and stuff. So it's been, it's been really cool how, how God's restored that relationship with us. But, um, but yeah, the forgiveness journey is what started that, that way. That's a powerful story. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this that certainly have people in their lives they need to forgive. Forgive, indeed, we all do. So, talk to us about you know once you meet. You said you felt lighter, uh, but talk to us about some of the big changes that you really started noticing in your life after you started forgiving people that had hurt you. I didn't have to prove that I was always right. I opened up more about talking about abuse, as far as like you know how it affects you and 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 those kinds of things. I didn't realize until you started talking about it that freedom and that healing starts to happen uh, when you when you when you talk about it around people. I mean, granted, people you trust, right? You know, but once I started talking a little bit more about it, where I felt like I was going to get condemned, you know, condemned people were actually empathetic and sympathetic, and which was really surprising. And um, so I just think it was really really neat. Uh, how that transition happened. The other thing was, is when I said, if you'll give me that, I'll give you this. One of the things that happened is like, I felt like I was kind of adopted into five men's families. It was kind of crazy. Um, Five guys that go to this church and man, I got to see how they did business. I got to see how they handled conflict with their spouses. I got to see how they disciplined their kids. All these examples were different from what I'd seen. You know, they weren't screaming at their kids and and, and, and this and that. And they were all just different examples that I had, had never seen before. And so that's one of the big differences is that I had the different examples because I chose free of my dad. I just thought it was really unique. Uh, I got to see how people handled their finances, how they made business decisions, uh, how they were contributing members to society and their community, the influence that they had on people. I just, I got to see all those different things and, and, you know, from the, the guy that, I mean, I'm a deer. I'm a deer hunter, and and I'd never killed a deer before. And this this one guy in particular, he's in the book. His name's Greg Barber. He showed me how to scout. I mean, who does that? <laughs> Takes time out of their busy day to go show some kid that's not there is how to scout. And and then and then not only scouting. Then he then when I actually killed my first deer, he was super excited. He showed up and showed me how to quarter it all out. And and I mean, just dude stuff, you know. And so it was just kind of neat. And, and and things started to transition. You know, something transitioned in me as a man. It was kind of like a rite of passage. Like, dude, if I ever had to survive on my own, I could provide food for my family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like something something just kind of changed in my heart. And so, um, so yeah, it was just really unique and, and, and neat how those transitions started to happen as the forgiveness happened in my life. So Derek, you, you noted that you started going down this path of forgiveness at the age of 19, but obviously you're quite a bit older than that. Oh, yeah. What made you finally decide to put this into a book? So I talk about, um, I'm, I'm a musician or I was a musician, touring musician for 12 years. And you see my guitar behind me. Um, I have a couple, but so in 2014, my construction business was taken off like crazy and something had to give because every time I go do a show, sometimes I'd have to cancel family events to go do the shows. And, and, and I wasn't desperate for music anymore as much as I used to be. I mean, I'd go play anywhere. It'd be 10 hours away. I'd go play for a hundred bucks. It was ridiculous, you know, just not making good decisions. 
and um, just so desperate to perform and, and put this message out there. And that was the thing is when I, in 2014, when I realized something had to give him a schedule, I called one of these guys that was kind of a father figure in my life and said, Hey, what do you think I should do? This is what's going on. And he kind of said, man, if it was going to happen to the, to the extent that you wanted it to happen, it probably would have happened already. And so that just kind of was a writing on the wall for me that I needed to walk away from it. And I kind of got depressed after that. I, I made the decision to walk away from it and got kind of depressed, not because I wasn't performing anymore, but because I felt like God had given me this outstanding, amazing message and I'd lost my platform to tell it. And what happened from then on was kind of like I kept getting this prompting to, to just, dude, write it in a book, write it in a book. And so that was 2014. I had two other versions of the book. And then um, when I got to the point in the book where I said, you know, it sucks what happened to you. It's not right. And it wasn't, it's not okay. I don't want to justify that, but if you want to move on to a better place emotionally, you got to get over it. <clears throat> when I went to tell people that, I just felt my self-critic just ate me alive. And for two years, I didn't write anything else in the book. Like, you're going to offend so many people. You know, nobody's going to like this. You're going to catch so much headache and, and, and the, you know, controversy over that, over saying that, that um, I literally put it down for, for two years. And then two gracious, awesome mentors, men of mine that are in my life that, that influenced me, um, Tom Schwab and Tommy Breedlove, uh, author of the book, Legendary. He said, uh, they said, wait, 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 do you believe what you just said? Do you believe what you said in the book? And I said, absolutely. They said, well, then write it because there's always going to be a critic. And that gave me kind of the push that I needed to just go ahead and finish it. And I finished it in a year. So... Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Outstanding. So Tommy Breedlove actually was a recent guest on this show and, and his book Legendary is phenomenal as well. Uh, Derek, I want you to take us through not only the, the book, uh, but the process of for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not easy. And it is, I, I want to stress to you how much of it is a muscle. It's a reflex. The, the, the more you, you get it. And the whole purpose behind forgiveness, right, is to have a vision for your life. Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? Do you want to have influence? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want your kid's life to look like? Your marriage? What do you want all that stuff to look like? Have a vision for your life. And then it goes back to the end of, of, the last part of the formula is gratitude. You can't be grateful and and happy. I feel like gratefulness and, and happy happiness are two different sides of the same sort of joy. If you want to be a happy, grateful, joyous person, you're not going to get there being a resentful, bitter, angry person. You're just not going to get there. To get there, you have to forgive some people. And remember that forgiveness is for you and trust is for them, the person who has offended you. So, you know, what I mean by that is that forgiveness is to heal and help you move on emotionally, whereas trust, so say 
say somebody's in your company and they steal $12,000 from you, you can forgive that person. Absolutely. But will you ever trust them with another penny? Absolutely. I would hope not. So that's the kind of situation when I talk about trust for them is that you can set boundaries up for those people. And if you, they continue to be in your life, then you can definitely set up boundaries. But um, just having that, that conversation of, of, you know, forgiveness is for you, trust is for them. So, and what that looks like is sometimes is going with your gut. So first and foremost in the book, we'd like to take, you know, wanting and needing a better life for yourself. So you have to kind of outline that vision for you. Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? And then going with your gut. So when you go to start these conversations with yourself, you kind of got to go with your gut. If your gut tells you, well, you know, dad did this and it, you know, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And and I've kind of held it against him ever since, or mom did this. And I've kind of held it against her ever since, or my brothers or siblings, when those people start coming to to your heart and your head, that's the people you need to forgive. You need to go with it right then. And then also cleansing your surroundings. If you're around bitter, angry, negative people, that stuff's toxic and it's contagious. You got to kind of move those people out of your life. And you know, if those people aren't uplifting you in life, then it's time to draw some boundaries in your life to, to get those people out because you want to find a healthy, positive people and emulate what their lives are doing and what they're doing in their lives. And then um, the third step is in the book is open heart surgery. Uh, in the open heart surgery, we deal with how to make a decision. A lot of some people, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. But some people have never learned how to make a, a good decision. And that is basically having a goal for your life and then running everything through the goal as a filter. You know, is this going to help my goal or is this going to hurt my goal? And then you, you, you know right then what decision you need to make. The second part of that is, is taking responsibility for your own life. Uh, so many people want to, want to take that victim mentality and they want to use all these excuses when it comes to forgiveness. Oh, but they did this. You don't understand. They did this or this happened and this, you know, so it's, it's taking responsibility for your own life and your own situation. And then from there is dealing with the self-critic, the cost of bitterness, what that looks like and how you, most of the time, the beneficiaries of your anger and your wrath always end up being somebody that you love, somebody that's very dear to you, very close to you. And then um, the last thing about the open heart surgery is the waiting room. So many of us are in the waiting room right now. We hate being in the waiting room. I can't stand being in the waiting room, but I give you some steps and some tools to kind of help you out. Basically, whatever it is that you want to do, just do the next thing. Do the next step. If it's something you want to do, what's the next thing you can do to kind of move the, the, the race in that direction? I want, to back so, up, I want to back up when you say stuck in the waiting room. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, for instance, I use the example of, of me being um, six years of praying for my dad to, for, for the relationship to be restored. And that was a long time to wait. You know, you're hoping, you know, that something's going to work out or uh, say, for instance, this is a great example I use in the book is when we were touring musician and I have five people in the band and we're all in, we're all out of Tupelo, Mississippi, but we were in Birmingham. Well, the night we were performing, we noticed green fluid somewhat coming out of the bottom of the van. We were like, Oh my gosh, the, the radiator's leaking. And so I, I said, you know, what? we're going to top it off. we got to go to Huntsville because we had to get to Huntsville the next day. We had a show the next day. I said, well, we'll get to Huntsville. We'll stay in the hotel and then we'll go and, and I'll deal with it in the morning. Got there to the morning and, and I went and changed the, the, the water pump was actually leaking in the van. I changed it in the AutoZone parking lot while everybody else sat across the street in the air conditioner and Taco Bell. Now I'm not bitter about that at all. <laughs> so, um, so I was, I knew it was a hundred degrees outside. So, um, so that happened. And, and I, I bring that in that story because so many times 
we get frustrated of what we're having to go through in this very moment, but yet we don't know that what we're going through in this very moment might be preparing us for something three years down the road. So what I say, what I mean to say that is like three other times I've been stuck on the side of the road with a broken water pump on a Jeep Wrangler and I had to fix it on the side of the road. And which means taking all those parts off, putting them all back together. And, and so you just never know that sometimes you're in the waiting room to learn a lesson. Sometimes you're, you're there, you don't know why you're frustrated, but sometimes if you could just look around and figure out what it is that, that you're trying to, what are you, what are you trying to learn from this? What do you got to learn right now? that will benefit me and help me get out of here. And, and sometimes things are out of our control and we just have to wait on them. Okay. So I, I, I have a better understanding now. And I think everyone listening to this now. So for you, the waiting room is when we're dealing with some of the real significant challenges that life throws at us, whether that's, you know, somebody's done something to us personally or something that seems out of our control. Mm-hmm. Okay. For sure. Very good. So I, the next question I have is, is I'm hearing you talk about kind of that your steps for forgiveness is how do you forgive somebody who has really, and, and I mean, seriously caused you extraordinary pain in, in your life? Well, and that's the, that's the kind of the process I go through. You know, I, I recently, well, not recently, two years ago, I had an individual that um, I wouldn't have a business to this day if it weren't for this individual. And uh, I wanted to help this individual best I could with everything I can. And he wanted to move back to where he was from. And so um, he said, hey, why don't we try to start this this first franchise kind of thing, a separate location. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, sure, man, let's do this. You know, I was gung-ho. I was excited about it. Thought he was the guy for the job. Believed in him. Um, felt like I owed him a lot because of the situation he helped me through. And we can get into that in a little bit. But this individual, I, I had invested like 12 grand into this individual to get him to where he was, to keep investing. I drove out, we got contracts with these builders out there. Well, uh, there was some stuff. He wasn't, he just wasn't getting the jobs and he wasn't getting the, the volume we needed him to have to start hiring. And so I told him, I called him, I said, Hey man, I'm going to fly out Sunday and I'm going to be there till Wednesday. I want to go do all this marketing. I kind of, I'd been asking him to do this marketing and, and it wasn't happening. I asked him if it was happening. He says, no. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to fly out and I'm going to do the marketing for you. The day before I booked my flight, that next day, he, he resigned and um, took my contract. For that, that was with my company. And so um, I, I, at that moment, was furious. I mean, absolutely furious. And, um, oh, I was angry. I was mad. And I, was, I, I knew that I said, I, I, I can't go to bed like this. I, I'm, I don't want this anger to happen in the next day. And so I just kept going over in my head. You know, I'm going to forgive this dude. I'm not going to feel like I forgave this dude right now, but I'm going to forgive this dude because like, if you turn around and you look at the other side of the perspective, sometimes you've got to put yourself in those people's shoes and what they're trying to do. He, he made the best decision he could for his family, right? That's, that's basically the, how he's motivated to make his decision. And... So I was, I was just kind of saying, okay, put yourself in his shoes. What would you have done? I probably would have had to do the same thing. Like, hey, I've got to cut this cord because I'm going to go broke trying to do this. So at night, I, I literally that night, I just, I forgive this dude. I just over and over in my head, I forgive this dude. I forgive this dude. I forgive this. When I woke up the next day, I didn't feel like I forgive him. I was still angry. I was still upset. And, and that evening at five o'clock, we actually had a conversation. Um, and I made some, some snarky remarks. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm human, you know, and, uh, but again, just reiterate, I forgive this dude, I forgive this dude. And that allowed me to have the conversation with the guy, right? So then again, 
the next day happened. I didn't feel I was I would I didn't feel like I'd forgiven him. I was still angry about it. Forgiven. I'm gonna forgive him. I'm forgiving. And then the next day it started to, it started to lift. That anger, that that bitterness that that was trying to take hold, it started to lift. And then the next day, it's 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 a it's one of those things where the next day I started to feel it. So the more the about a week and a half, I no longer felt the angerness. I never felt the bitterness. I no longer felt uh, that resentment of just like making those decisions. And that's what I want to emphasize is that forgiveness, so much of it is a choice. It's if you want to get onto a better place emotionally, it's not justifying what somebody did to you by any means. We're not here to justify what people did to you. What they did to you was wrong. Absolutely. And it shouldn't have happened. And, and I'm sorry that it did happen. But at the end of the day, if you want to get onto a better place emotionally, you have to forgive those people because they're holding you prisoner by a choice that you have to make. All those things are holding you prisoner. And, um, you know, forgiveness is the key to get you out of that prison cell that you're being tormented in. So, so that's, that's what forgiveness for me looks like is, is it's, it's a choice for one. So many people's like, they hold forgiveness until they wait to feel like somebody maybe deserves it. And I'm going to be completely honest. Nobody deserves that. Right. I mean, that's just, I mean, just, that's, that's, that's just what it is. You, when you, when, when they hurt you in your heart, those things and emotions, they tell you nobody deserves this. True forgiveness can't happen unless you give it away freely. You can't, you can't purchase it. You can't buy it. Nobody's going to be worthy enough for you, you know, especially when they've offended you. That's a beautiful quote, the way that you phrase that. And I, and I know that your book also talks about forgiveness in, in relationships with your significant other. Let's, let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. For sure. Um, this is something that um, I'm very passionate about because um, I've been married to my wife for 17 years now. We were high school sweethearts. And um, in 2018, we were headed down a bad road. Our business, we, we were used to the fact that I come home, hey, honey, how's it going? Love you, goodbye. And I'd have to go do work. And we were growing like crazy. And then in 2016, my wife got diagnosed with a very rare type of cancer. It was called synovial sarcoma. And there's only three cases known in the United States. That's how rare it is. Um, and it was inside of our tonsil. And so this is the start of 2016. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? And I hired that guy I was talking about. I hired him as my first field manager. I took three days I had before her surgery. I had taken, I spent as much time as I could with him to show him the ropes because I was like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how they told me it was going to be a really long surgery, you know, and, and, you know, with my kids, my wife, the whole situation, having to do a will, all that kind of crazy stuff happening. and. And so long story short, she came out of the surgery as an eight hour surgery. She had a, she was hooked up to a million tubes. She had a tracheotomy because she was in such deep uh, sedation that the lungs at a lot of the times that deep of sedation, the lungs will stop working. So they, they, she had uh, a tracheotomy done. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a really crazy situation. Uh, that night I just slept with my head on her, on her armrest of her pillow, of her, of her bed her hospital bed because I just felt like she was going to drown. They had this, I mean, it was just a horrible situation. And so, um, she's a fighter and, uh, we got to the point where she was out of the hospital and things like that. And then when she got the, her feeding tube out two weeks later, she started 33 rounds of radiation treatment. And today, April uh, 7th, she's four years cancer free. 
praise God. And so um, that's exciting. But what was happening was in 2018, we had systematized our business so much. We had two field managers. We had a dispatcher. We had a costing person. We created all these systems. And life was normal, like a normal human being. Life was kind of normal for us. And we didn't know what normal looked like because we were so used to survival mode. Like, go do this. Go do that. You got to do that. Cool. You take that. All right, sweet. We, I mean, it was just blowing and going the whole time. And now we were around each other, kind of like, hey, how's it going? You know, and we were starting these petty little arguments and stuff. And, and so... We ended up in marriage counseling because uh, I bought a $40,000 truck without her present. And uh, boy, it was not a wise decision. <laughs> yeah, uh, you ladies out there listening, I know I get it. It was a terrible decision. And I didn't understand why it was a terrible decision until we got into marriage counseling. And it was because she felt like we weren't part of a team anymore. And uh, boy, that cut me to the core of like, you know, just being in a bad situation. And so we went to marriage counseling and in the, in the, the deal. This is this is so enlightening for couples, and I recommend anybody that's been married two years or longer go check out a marriage counselor just just for your own well being and your relationship. Because there's so much I can give you some of the stuff right here that you can just kind of have those conversations with your spouse. But basically, they do is they go through the family of origin. Okay, so they want to see how you're raised and how your spouse was raised in front of each other, so that you can kind of get it. The get it factor goes way up when you realize what they went through as a child and how they were raised and the decisions they made. The get it factor goes way up. Oh, that's why he does that. Or that's why she does that. So family of origin, remember, remember, remember that your spouse is not the enemy. Um, They're not your enemy. Uh, They are a gift. And um, when you choose to make your spouse an enemy or deny them love, you're rejecting a gift from God. And, um, it causes all kind of craziness. Uh, the next thing that I talk about in the book is is three things that men desires that men have, and the three things that women have. This is John Eldridge's book and his wife Stacy's book. Uh, her wife, uh, her her book is called Captivating, and um, and the, and then Wild at Heart. So Wild at Heart talks about the three desires that men have, which is uh, they want to go on a great adventure, they want a battle to fight, and they want a beauty to rescue. So those are the three main things that desires that men have and, and, and how they apply to a relationship is really neat. The thing, when I read this book, I literally started to cry in the first chapter because I was like, man, this is, this is crazy because I didn't know this, this, what, it is, what women have as the desires in their heart. And, and that is to have an irreplaceable role on a great adventure. So if men have a great adventure that they want to go conquer the world, women want to be have an irreplaceable role in that. So whether that's starting a business together, uh, uh, raising kids together, uh, you know, all those things, doing life together, they just want to have an irreplaceable role in an integrative venture. And then secondly, she wants to show the world what beauty looks like. How a woman does their hair, how they do their makeup, how they dress up, how they, you know, if you're going out on a date, whether they not they wear a dress, the whole, the whole purpose behind it, they want to know, you know, am I, am I lovely? And they want to show the world what beauty looks like. And, and how they see the world. And then the third step is she wants to be pursued. So many times when we get married, you know, it's like, all right, cool. The, the pursuing part's done. You know, whereas, whereas when you were dating, you were like, man, I got to go spend some more time with that girl. Man, you were running after, hey, you busy? You want to hang out? You know, I mean, it was like, you know, we stopped that when we get married for some reason. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's basically, you know, what it looks like. And then the book talks about, we went to this weekend to remember thing. And in that weekend, I remember thing, we had no idea what was going to happen at the end. But at the end of it, uh, they gave you this marriage certificate and they made you go through your vows. 
So they renewed your vows right there in front of each other. And we were both just a, a crying, sobbing, hot mess. I mean, just like, because the words carried so much weight now to having to hold in sickness and in health because we'd just been through that, you know, in, in sickness and in health. So, and then, and then uh, for richer, for poor, man, we had been section eight housing, you know, we had, we had gotten on WIC before. I mean, all those things that, that richer for poor, but now we were on the other side of that, right. With a, a business doing very, very well financially and, and those sorts of things. So we were on that side we, we knew those words carried so much weight, but at the end of it, we still chose each other. And, and that to me was so powerful and, and at the end of the vows, you know, we gave each other just this crazy embrace and, and a kiss. And it was just, it was, it was pretty epic. So, so yeah, that's, that's what marriage, the book just gets into really what that, what that looks like uh, on, on, in our life. And that's one of the things this whole book is about is just our forgiveness journey and my forgiveness journey of what this looks like and what it looks like. I love it. Derek, we are at time. This has been a great conversation. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest. A single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The one most important piece of information you'd like the audience to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? The big thing is, I'm going to read two short paragraphs in my book, just the, 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 how I end my book. And, and this is, my, my passion is to empower people to change their own situation. And I just want to kind of leave people with this. So you're not a victim. When you play the victim, you give the person that harmed you power over you. You have to get to the point where you say, no more, I am not a victim. Proclaiming that will arm, will disarm the power your offender has over you. You are enough. You have what it takes. I believe in you. You must believe in you. There is greatness within you and within all of us because we were created by perfection in his image. Again, you have, the, you have to participate in your own rescue, as my friend Tommy Breedlove says. And Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that... He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So go. If you still have breath in your lungs, go. Go and change the world. You are going to help create the world that my kids grow up in and their kids. And I want to leave it better than I found it. Together, you and me, armed with the power that forgiveness brings to set others free, we can do this. You can do this. For whatever is your why, choose to forgive. Beautifully said. Derek, where can people get their hands on this book? You can go to www.derekstone.online, and that is D-E-R-E-K-S-T-O-N-E.online. You guys can grab a copy of the book there. Uh, it's on Amazon. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for, for taking a look at that. Absolutely. Derek, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciated the insight today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Richard. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today, do something nice for somebody else. I know we're all stuck inside, but use the internet, pick up the phone, call somebody you haven't talked to in a long time, forgive somebody, post what you did in your in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 